Hey, it's uh, great to have Stephen Mel from Far North Queensland with us uh, today, and I think you're going to be blessed off your socks as you listen to these wonderful practitioners who have been working so effectively in the harvest up in Far North Queensland. Stephen Mel work uh, and catalyzing groups uh, throughout their whole region. They are, they are visionaries, they are original leaders, they are really fun people, and they're really down-to-earth Aussies, which is uh, very key for us as we reach out to this uh, Aussie culture. They also uh, have a key and significant uh, ministry amongst uh, Indigenous people of the Cape York area. They're just pioneering and um, it's really exciting to see that. Welcome Stephen Mel to the podcast. Thanks, Thanks Dave. Dave. Thank you. Uh, Stephen Mel, tell <laughs> us a bit about yourselves. Introduce us, help us get to know you some more. Yeah, so um, obviously Steve, <laughs> uh, I grew up uh, as a missionary kid in PNG, uh, born in PNG, did high school, uh, finished in high school in PNG and then um, came to Australia and met the love of my life, which was Melissa, um, who is Townsville born and bred. And um, we got, yeah, got married and we just really had a heart to reach the lost. We just, um, our whole marriage we really just felt like, how can we be the most effective uh, missionaries in North Queensland? And that's what we've been doing ever since. We've been trying to work out how we can reach as many people who are in the harvest as, as we can. And um, so that's why we're uh, with Praxis, and that's why we're doing disciple-making movements across North Queensland because that's where God's called us to go. We have a son called Ezra as well. He's nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. And um, he is a pocket rocket, and um, he actually was baptised a year ago um, in our creek in Townsville, which was really cool to see. But that's us. Yeah. Yeah, Mel, would you like to add anything? Yeah, sure. Um, I think if you wanted to come up and meet us, we would absolutely love that if we haven't met you before. We're very... um, I don't know, true blue Aussie. We like to have fun, go to the outback, have a bit of a good time, Um, but we just really love people. Uh, We love meeting all sorts of different people, different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, So, yeah, it's a bit hard to explain who we are because we're in the bubble, but, yeah, that's who we are, and we'd love to meet you if we haven't already. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, When I first met you guys, there was a lot of people that would – have loved you to join the church. You were running youth groups. You were uh, being involved, invited into pastoral positions, and um, and uh, there was there was a bit of a um, bit of a conversation there about which direction you should take. Uh, why why didn't yeah. you become a pastor? Why didn't you become traditional youth group leaders? Um, what's what was going on there? Uh, I would I would say that the main reason was because we had heard about movement mentality and we fell in love with the idea of being able to make disciples who kept making mm. disciples and uh, and we were really desperate to to get our hands on the most effective way of doing that. We were really desperate um, to see the book of Acts come alive in our own backyard Um, and we knew that if we just kept doing what we'd always been doing um, within the mainstream church structure, 
uh, we probably weren't going to see the sort of results and numbers that these movements were seeing. Um, and so we got a bit of a taste of that through Ron and Paula Turner when they took us prayer walking and prayer driving through the outback. And, um, and we just realised that this is something that God's calling us to. And uh, it was definitely not the easy option. It was by far the hardest option. But to us, it was the most valuable option for the kingdom of God. So we jumped into it um, very excitedly. Yeah. <laughs> what, what attracted you specifically about disciple-making movements? What's, um, what was, uh, apart from the, the general idea that movements uh, were there and it was a way of thinking and it multiplied, what, what were some of the key things that attracted you into disciple-making movements? I think for myself, it was more the relational side of stuff. Um, I think with DMM, there's very much an, a, a relational aspect that the traditional church doesn't have um, in reaching people. And um, the networks that are in, involved in DMM um, just can't be contained as well within the four walls of a church building. Um, and it's far-reaching as well. So like in North Queensland, we can reach um, Korea, we can reach PNG, we can reach all the way around and start groups outside of North Queensland um, quite easily through this through the method uh, of DMM. So that really attracted both of us in, in, um, yeah, in the way we actually ministered to people. Yeah, just even the logistics, um, you know, when we're comparing the two different methods of being church and seeing churches planted, I think you just can't go past the DNA of disciple-making movements has the potential to reach far more people in the harvest, exponentially more people in the harvest. Um, the other thing is... Um, you know, with our traditional church model, it is a lot more costly. Yeah. It costs a lot more money. Um, and it relies on either outsiders or insiders who are qualified and certified as religious leaders, mm. which actually disempowers the rest of the church body. Um, so to us, we were thinking, well, we want to see everybody living out the book of Acts. We want to see everybody making disciples. That's what we've been mandated to do yeah. by Jesus. Um, so it really was a no-brainer um, when we looked at it. Um, uh, we were really crying out to God for wisdom and direction on that. We wanted to be led by his spirit. So it wasn't just, you know, uh, yeah, let's jump on the bandwagon decision. It was really thought through, prayed through, um, and when we knew, we just knew, um, and we were all in. And it also made sense because it, the model is the model from the Book of Acts as well. So it's actually the, the old um, way of doing church that is now um, coming about again, and it's just so biblical that we we just felt that resonates so much with us as well. Um, and, yeah, as Mel said, uh, it, it also... Uh, we're not dependent on our certified, trained religious leaders to take the gospel mm. to the rest of uh, North Queensland. We rely on everyday people to do that. 
and I think that's a, a really important point that everyone um, has been commissioned to go and make disciples, mm. who make disciples, mm. who make disciples. So it's that mm. multiplication um, method that we just really loved. That's awesome. Um, I know you guys have catalyzed groups in in Townsville, in in Cairns, even um, as far up into PNG that that you've seen um, groups established and multiplying. Um, I'd love to jump in to the idea of how do you start groups, um, DMM groups? What what's some of the keys that you've found as you've stepped out and you've um, You've jumped into the harvest um, and started a, started groups that then seem to have grown and multiplied. Um, what what do you see as some of the keys in your practice and ministry there? Yeah, one of the the first things that um, we find um, works is <laughs> radical, passionate mm. prayer. So going into places and just um, crying out to God for breakthrough and being led in prayer so that we are praying the things that God wants to hear because it's on his heart and it's what he wants to do within that community or that group of people, whether they're a bunch of tradies in a workplace or an Indigenous community up in the Cape or a bunch of homeschooling mums who are dabbling in New Age stuff. Um, it, every situation, God's going to have a specific plan to reach those people so that radical prayer partnering with God in that um, and then the key as well is just to go and start having conversations with the people so being very real about who we are we're not coming in as big heads who think we know it all these big you know religious leaders who are superior it's really the opposite to that it's coming in it's listening being real about our faith, being very confident and courageous in our faith um, is definitely key. And um, just going, talking to the people and seeing what happens. Yeah. Finding key people, peace is, is important as well. Like within um, groups of people, we, we definitely try and find that, that person of peace and work with them to catalyse groups. Um, and they then obviously catalyze other groups. But the important part is is to um, yeah find key people of peace amongst um, church and unchurched groups. So we've found people of peace within the church as well mm. that have started discovery groups amongst um, people who are amongst their community of friends and and family who don't know the Lord, but they didn't realize that they were commissioned to also reach the lost. They um, were very much um, suffocated, I suppose, is, is probably a word, um, probably a harsh word, but suffocated in thinking that they just had to attend the church mm. service um, and not reach their people and, and uh, fellow friends around them. And that the, the work was the pastor's work. And so it's I think that's an important part of it as well. Mm. Um, when we find these people of peace, we model discovery to them. So um, depending where they're at in their journey with God, um, some of them might be ripe and ready to do a discovery group and um, talk about how they could use their everyday language for the discovery group facilitating questions. Um, so just the other day I was up in the Cape talking to an Indigenous woman 
and we looked at some of the questions, for instance, you know, how will you obey this? And um, we said, well, how would you say that? How would you say that in your own words? And she said, oh, uh, what are we going to do about this? Mm. That's, that was her language. And so now that's what she's going to be using when she does discovery. So really working with that person of peace to, to see what's the best way to word things. Um, how can we do this? Maybe we need to do some audio stuff um, if we have illiterate people there. So, yeah, working with that person of peace and really trying to avoid one-on-one yeah. discovery groups is key. Very um, cool. Trying to get that person, that insider, facilitating a discovery group immediately, like as soon as possible, putting it in their hands um, so that they're not just parroting our behaviour or the way that we do things. Um, it really comes um, stripped back to the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in that group as the teacher. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, going back to... You talked about radical, passionate prayer. You talked about then engaging with um, um, uh, people going, being really upfront, bold and confident in your faith. And and then from there, starting people of peace and, and catalyzing groups. Um, um, but going back into the conversations, how do you identify who's the person of peace? I mean, is it the first person that smiles at you when you walk into a community? Um, is it... Um, Usually not. <laughs> what does that look like? No, yeah, definitely um, we struggled with that first up. Uh, we spent a year probably in our journey um, in our caravan travelling around North Queensland, pulling our hair out going... Where are these people of peace? <laughs> um, and we just um, sat with God after about a year. There were no groups that were started. Um, and we just said, God, uh, please take this um, this burden from us because you know, we're, we're paid to do this work and we're seeing nothing happening. So we just prayed fervently to God and say, God, we said, God, take control of this. This is your mission. It's not our mission. We want to see um, a move of, of your Holy Spirit across this this area. And we're praying that already anyway. Um, and once we sat still and let God work, um, the people of peace became very clear. Um, they, were, they were hungry. They were, they were very hungry to reading the Word of God. They were sharing um, with their mates uh, around them. And um, it was, and they were obeying what, what they were what they were um, looking at, and yeah, we we found once we actually identified a person of peace the first time, it was a lot easier to identify people of peace after um, that year long slog, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I think once you find a true person of peace, it's like oh. Mm. <laughs> like you're not trying to do all this work in vain. God is really the one yeah. driving it, and it's a real joy. It, it is messy, but it, it's a real joy. And um, yeah, there's nothing quite like it when you when you actually see that person that Jesus speaks of. You know, when he sends his disciples out. So yeah, it's they come in many different. Um, Forms and sizes. Uh, there's even nine-year-olds facilitating, um, bringing their friends together, which uh, just recently um, a group has sparked another group. So it started off with kids. The mothers were hanging around and decided they wanted to be part of something like this. 
So that sparked a group of mums. So it's it's just beautiful to see people of peace. You can't pick them always. It's, you know, different ages, different genders, different backgrounds. It's amazing how God works like that and just weaves people together. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's um, the idea of hungry and you we used the word obeying. So they took, I, I mm. presume you, you're talking about not obeying you, Steve, when you say get me a cup of tea or something. But no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Obeying the gospel, obeying the word of God. Responding to the word of God and then automatically you're looking Mm. for the ones who are sharing or have some sense of community or group dynamic around them. And those those three things together really, um, yeah. Do you ever ever look at each other and say, I've got a live one. Here's another person at peace. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually just recently we are in a community, myself and the pilot, uh, who takes us up to the communities in the Cape, we actually said to Melissa when she came the first time, we said, Melissa, this lady is a person of peace. She is a live one, as you, as you explained then. And, and after Melissa met with her, she goes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> she, is, she certainly is a person of peace. Uh, but, but the way we actually worked that was she, were, she wasn't very open to us as, because we were males. Um, and we find uh, Indigenous uh, women aren't as open to um, spending time with males as they would with women. So that's why Melissa, it was so important that Melissa came along that trip. And she's yeah she's done an amazing job with this lady, and, and hopefully we'll see a move of the Holy Spirit amongst her people group. Amen. Um, what what are some of the key challenges that you guys are facing? Uh, as you, as you're catalyzing groups, and and how do you overcome those challenges? Mm. I would say one of the biggest obstacles, and this is a very common one um, with our fellow DMM workers, is that um, it's really hard when other believers come in and they don't yet grasp what you're doing. They don't really understand disciple making movements that um, every believer is called to be a disciple maker and um, they might not even agree with it. They might be dead against it. And so I guess how we respond to that um, is to choose love first and foremost, um, try and build relationship um, and then, you know, just bringing things back to scripture. What does the Bible say? Uh, What's the scriptural basis for what we're seeing here and what we're doing and what we're working towards? And, you know, if all else fails, um, then we just need to focus on the harvest, focus on the new wine and the new wineskins. But our heart really is to be able to um, kind of stop the competitive spirit between different church groups or um, denominations. Uh, Our motto is it's not competition, it's mission. And if we can work and and partner together with other believers, um, there's so much power in that unity. But it doesn't always happen, and that is a real challenge. Mm. Um, It is heartbreaking, but God will persevere Mm. through that. And we know that Mm. in the kingdom um, there's not just wheat, there's also weeds that have been planted. And so we're always going to come against people who are hostile, people who might 
not even really be believers, but they've been planted there by the evil one. So that's a big challenge, but it can only be overcome with God's help. And we just need to keep our eyes on him and always choose love um, as our first option. And um, I think maybe some other challenges in Australia, it is quite hard soil. Um, I think, you know, Steve popped over to PNG. He hadn't been there since he'd graduated high school. And um, he's 45 now. (laughs) And he went over to PNG for the first time since um, back in 2019, at the end of 2019, just before COVID broke out, and found a person of peace in a remote village and boom, just this movement um, was sparked. He was a person of peace and reached many people. But here in Australia, it's it's not usually that simple. It's it's a little bit harder soil. And the, the challenge is to keep looking for people of peace and not get hung up on continually slogging out with people who are really not people of peace. That's the challenge um, because, you know, you want to see fruit. So think, you know, instead of getting desperate and grasping for straws, uh, we've just got to stay true to the mission and continue to find those people of peace and so that we can really pour into them. Mm. I, I think um, the hard soil um, in Australia is obvious. It's, um, but once you find people of peace, um, it, they're, they're treasure. It's treasure and you want to work with them and disciple them, coach them, mentor them and and work with these guys to reach a whole network of people within their um, family, within their social group, within their work group, um, whatever it may look like, whoever's responding to the gospel. Um, so I think that's a that's one point that is is a struggle. And the other the other struggle um, for us is is probably a bit of loneliness as well, uh, because when you're catalyzing and um, reaching a, a group of people the size of North Queensland, it can get very lonely because you don't have the social networks around you to support you, love on you, um, the way that you do with a normal um, church uh, in a building. Uh, but, you know, God has called us to go and make disciples um, within North Queensland. So even though the loneliness is a struggle sometimes, you know, when we actually find these people who are uh, amazing people of peace, you know, it's all worth it. Every, the whole um, struggle side of it is worth that, you know, yeah. person of peace. And the, the church communities that are catalysed through DMM are so special and yeah. so precious because it's life on life. Yeah. And you're all on mission together. You all get it. You're all yearning for the real deal. And um, so that initial stage of going to a new place, looking for people of peace can be lonely. I, I totally agree. And we, we've felt that. But the outcome of seeing uh, discovery groups planted that transition to become churches on fire for God, that's that's it. Like That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're here yeah. on the first four. Yeah. yeah. You guys are um, really ministering up there in the Cape York, and we've seen you now um, able to access uh, these communities um, um, through a, flying in on a small plane. And uh, tell us a bit mm-hmm. about 
number one, your heart for Indigenous and why um, why are you impassioned? Because I think it's something precious to capture and something um, wonderful to, to look at is not simply a strategy but a heart. And secondly, mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll unpack a bit some of the keys of reaching Indigenous peoples, especially in your context. Uh, they might not be always the same in different contexts, um, but yeah, tell us a bit bit about the heart that you have for Indigenous peoples. Well, uh, we've uh, worked with Indigenous people um, in some towns which are closer to Cairns, um, and what I, I just really believe that if we're not reaching the first nation, our First Nation brothers and sisters and empowering them to multiply within their networks, within their groups of people, I think we're not doing our job as, um, as regional leaders in North Queensland. Uh, so our heart is really to see these guys empowered to reach their people, to see uh, transformation of their culture, to see their culture redeemed, um, and... Uh, specifically in the Cape area, uh, there are different communities, and within these different communities, there are different tribes as well. Um, and we we really want to also see, and we're seeing uh, different tribes um, reach through different people of peace. So not just only being satisfied with one person of peace within um, an indigenous community, we want to see multiple people of peace uh, amongst uh, different tribes. Mm. Um, yeah, really got the uh, the viewpoint that um, just as people who are sitting in um, a traditional um, church model might not think that um, they can go out and make disciples and that that's a big part of their whole purpose of being on this planet. Um, and so often it's just left up to the church pastor or minister or bishop or, um, you know, a special special team that's been put together. Um, So often they just sit there in the background. I I see that with our Indigenous brothers and sisters. So often they're disempowered in in more ways than just spiritually, in every way. They're disempowered because the structure is there and they just have to turn up and adhere to the structure, all the powers that be. And life becomes so shallow and so hollow and you can see there's that craving. They're so spiritual. Yeah. They're very spiritual people. And it is honestly such a privilege and such an honour mm. to go and, and meet with these people and talk to them. And um, I really believe that the nation will be changed spiritually when we have Indigenous brothers and sisters rise up and really claim this country as God's own territory and mm. Our heart is just overwhelmed with joy. Like I don't usually talk like that, but it's legit. It's amazing to sit with these guys and hear what, you know, the dreams that God's given them and the calling that he's put on their heart just to go in very humbly and do lots of listening. And it's just an amazing thing to be a part of. It really is a privilege. Mm. Fantastic. And, the, the uh, amazing thing is when you see an Indigenous leader stand up even on a national forum like on our 
ABC TV during Easter and and give a talk. Um, nobody questions them. They have a they have a place mm-hmm. of authority when Auntie so and so or Uncle so and so stands up and speaks. They have a place in our nation that is really um, really special. And uh, yeah, the 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 deep depth, uh, their deep waters, and uh, the depth of spirituality is very very real. Yeah. yeah. What what are some of the keys that you think are there as you're you're in those communities and you're uh, catalyzing groups there? What are some of the keys? I think uh, the key, and, and it's within any community, is love. Um, I think we need to love our Indigenous brothers and sisters, um, not only because they've gone through so much in the past, but because um, they deserve our love. They, these guys um, have, um, have gone through so much, and the, the one thing that we love to do is meet with them regularly face-to-face, um, and we find that if we don't meet with them face to face, sometimes their uh, their uh, fire for the Lord does actually uh, quench as well. So they just they yearn for that face to face with people. They yearn for that um, uh, that real relationship, that real love, that real friendship um, that goes along with making disciples and. Um, and we also, the key is also we need to get out of our comfort zone as well. Sometimes, so often, we, we um, yeah, think of their, their way of doing things uh, as, a, as a certain way, but what we need to do is actually get out of our comfort zone, get into their space, their way of living, um, the way they do things, and be a part of, of their um, culture as well so that we, we more fully understand um, who they are, and um, are able to t- are able to speak into that and talk into that a lot lot easier. Um, we've, we've found that once we get to know know them well, uh, that's when we're able to speak into their lives. Mm, yeah, I think genuine, sincere love can conquer any cultural boundary or barrier or line in the sand. It really does, and and they can see uh, whether you're you're there for the right reasons or not. Um, I think so often uh, we look at people groups and and treat them as projects Mm. Um, and that kind of motive can be, you can smell that from a mile away. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and I think any any people group could. Um, But these guys have been, you know, um, uh, spoken of and treated as projects for so long that Mm. it would be pretty easy to start believing that. And um, it's a real awesome thing to see that glimmer in their eyes as they they realise their their worth in God's kingdom mm. and um, just the amazing uh, mandate and commission that's on their lives to reach their people. That's just like a whole nother ball game. It's a whole nother world for them. Yeah. So I think the key is to cast vision. Um, you know, rise above whatever's happened in the past. Rise above that. Let's cast vision. Let's speak God's kingdom language together yeah. and just see what can happen. Yeah. No one's more superior than the other. We're all siblings in God's family. Let's do this. Let's nail it and let's just see what happens. Yeah, and also I think Mel t- touched on it earlier is use their language. So when you're doing a discovery group, use 
the language that they use within community to ask questions, to discuss things with them. And that's, I think that's key, uh, a major key to actually reaching Indigenous guys. Yeah. Just awesome. And as we look at the idea of um, how, to, how to catalyse groups, but also your, the heart of love and the heart of empowerment that uh, throbs there with you guys and just see the way to, to jump in there, it's, um, it's a lot to chew on and a lot to just think about. I just wonder as we finish the podcast um, whether you would have a word of encouragement or uh, uh, an exhortation for people who are listening to this that we we finish with your words now of how to um, to go and make disciples wherever we are. Yeah, I'd just like to say to all those who are listening, prayer is powerful. If we fervently, passionately praying to the Lord, our God, um, with everything that we are, to seeing a disciple-making movement just transform wherever we are, uh, whatever people group we're working with. Um, it is very powerful, but I think we need to also have a next step of going. Make sure that we not only pray, but we go. And don't be afraid of making mistakes, because I've made many mistakes. But from those mistakes, you learn from them. And you do a lot better next time. So as you're going, pray. As you're as you're doing uh, work in the harvest, pray. Yeah, I think, you know, I just think of what the people were saying to Joshua going into the promised land, like, be courageous, yeah. go for it, you know. Um, it's just so true. We, we need to step up. Uh, to the plate and just go for it, like get out of our comfort zone, see what happens. What's the worst that could happen, seriously? Like our eternity is secured. Just go for it. Give it a crack and just talk to God as you're doing it. Um, and I, I love that passage. I'll just read this um, passage that Paul spoke um, in Athens. I think this is really fitting, especially when you're considering different people groups that you're reaching. So God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And he continues on, but how awesome and how epic is that gospel message that this God has pre-appointed times and nations and people, and you know what? He's pre-appointed you and I to be exactly where we are to reach those people. That is awesome. That is epic that this moment in human history, we're here doing this podcast or listening to this podcast and really seeking God for what is it that you want me to do? Who can I be reaching? What people group am I to reach? And partnering with him in this just this epic God story of human history. It's such a privilege. Let's just go for it. But honestly, what have we got to lose? Let's go for it and see what happens.